So we're carrying on the series about what did Jesus say. Um, I think if you're looking at the whole story of the Bible, if you, you want to look at what the Son of God said about certain things. Because it's great when prophets speak and it's the Word of God and it's, the Bible says that all, word, all of the Word of God is, is God-breathed. But when Jesus speaks, I think we need to pay special attention. We've covered a few things. Andy covered, what did you speak on last week? The battles of life, what Jesus said about the battles of life. I spoke about the kingdom of God. Um, and today I'm talking about what Jesus said about foundations. And I had to phone some engineer friends who said they want to remain nameless. Um, and I've asked them a few questions on foundations because there's quite a lot of engineers in the church. And I don't want to look like someone who doesn't know what he's talking about, even though I don't really, um, in terms of foundations. But I want to start with this. Let's pray, maybe. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that it's the only thing by your spirit that changes our hearts. It makes us more like you. And I pray that this morning, Lord God, that as your word is spoken, that, that uh, repentance will happen in our seats, change will happen in our seats, we'd become more like you. Lord God, the words that I speak, Lord God, let them be from your heart and in line with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we live in a world with crazy amounts of information. Am I right? Uh, we are bombarded every day. I open my phone, I flick to the left, and I'm linked with the, the U.S. store for some reason. And anyway, so I get all the U.S. news. I know I can change it, but that's... And generally, it's, if, you're, if you're on CNN, they're just kind of knocking Trump. Uh, I don't know, that's just crazy. But then there's, there's a whole bunch of other news, and, it's, and it's, sometimes it's tragedies. And you, like, I, I opened the thing yesterday, and some young kid jumped off a balcony uh, in Texas because there was a fire in his building. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. I didn't even watch the whole video because I felt bad about it. And then you, then you go to another thing, and then there's like a war happening in Syria. And then there's uh, people, there's been senseless shootings around the world. And it's just, we become so full of this information that's been shot at us, and we become desensitized to what is actually happening. And the problem with that is that there's a high aspect of information and a low aspect of action. Because we, we may be changed in the moment and feel bad in the moment, but we're not necessarily going to do anything about it. Because we are so bombarded with information. And before the invention of the telegraph, then the telephone, the fax machine, who knows what a fax machine is? <laughs> Millennials are like, what's that? No. Uh, anyone born like kind of in the 90s wouldn't necessarily have used a fax machine. But uh, it was a thing that you used to scan paper and send, like, documents. Old, yes, she's saying, you old. I know, Snaya, okay. I am 12 or 13 years older than you. Um, then the internet came and obviously changed the world completely. Uh, who remembers when the internet came? I mean, some of you were born into the internet. Like, you just, that's all you've known. But I remember clearly I was probably about 12 or 13. Some of you were in your 20s. Ron was 41 when it <laughs> And, um, no, so he doesn't age. He's like a vampire. No, just, <laughs> sorry, no, I shouldn't actually say that in church. Anyway. But I remember clearly I was about 12 or 13 years old and my friend goes, oh, we got a 56K line. And I don't even know what it is, that is comparative to today. But like we, we, we work in Megs now. Then it was K and it's just like, who remembers that sound? Switching on the internet, and you like takes 15 minutes to download a, like a picture or whatever. It's just it was it was fun back then. I remember sending an email. You'd press send, and it would take a long time for the email to go through. My point is, if you think from the 90s to now, which is 20, 30 years later, how much has the, has the world changed? 
the, the, the amount of information that is just on, on the internet is in the petabytes. You know, that's like higher than terabytes. And, uh, and it just keeps increasing. And there was, uh, there's a guy called Buckminster Fuller. Who's heard of him? If you, if you have, I'm very impressed. Patty probably has because she's super smart. Um, but he was a, a futurist. He was an architect, in, I think, in the 40s. And he had, this, um, he had this graph, which I think is behind me. It's the knowledge doubling graph. But if you, it starts out that it says, from the time of Jesus' birth till the 1500s, the whole cumulative knowledge and all the civilization doubled. So it took 1,500 years for all the information in the world to double. From there, it took 250 years to double again. And from there, it doubled every 100 years up until World War II. There, it doubled every 25 years. With the introduction of internet in the 90s, it is every 12 to 13 months. Now we're sitting at a time because of internet and because of how fast things are, are growing and there's so much information on the, on the web, and it's obviously in some sectors, but if you look at what a lot of people are saying is that up to every 12 hours, information is doubling in the world. And I have verified that on a few different websites, so it's not like I'm just talking random stuff. You can go check it yourself. And that for me, it's, it's quite scary. We live in a world that is very different to Jesus' world, where they would know what's happening in their village and maybe 20 kilometer radius. But then the telegraph came like 1,800 years later, and then we knew what was happening across the world. And what that does is that it removes you from your time, your time and space and makes you ineffective. And I believe this is what Jesus is talking about. If we want to turn in our Bibles to um, Matthew 7, please. I've got it behind me here. Matthew 7. Verse 21, let's actually go straight to 24. We don't have time to go through all of that. There we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Can we say puts them into practice? It's a Greek word, poieo, just that'll change your life. Okay. Um, and it just means to, to actually physically do something. It's like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had the foundation on the rock. We all know what the rock is talking about, it's Jesus Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's very key to put it into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now isn't it interesting that we've built a city on the sand? But what I found out, and the engineers can correct me if I'm wrong, is that they dig pylons as deep as they can until they find something that's pretty solid or they compact the ground so they can actually build upon. Verse 27, The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And... um. Who grew up in church? I grew up in a Baptist church, which means they just basically drill you with Bible verses. If you don't come back the next week, knowing your Bible verse, you got caned. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. That was a, that was a different kind of school. Um, but the point is, we, we, can sometimes, <laughs> we can sometimes go to this scripture and have preconceived ideas of what it actually means. Because we've read it so many times, and we're like, oh, that's a nice saying of Jesus. 
But I, I, can we just take a moment and just look at the implications of what Jesus was actually saying? This was, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with three warnings. This is the third warning. So this is the final, final thing that he's saying. He doesn't do an altar call. If he had a mic, he would have dropped it. It was that kind of just, he would have just walked off the stage and that's, that's done. And he's saying, listen, it's your choice now. I've laid out what it looks like to follow me, to, to give your life to the kingdom of God. It's your choice if you want to build on me and the practices of me and what I have called you to do or build on sand and it's going to come a great crash. And I think sometimes those are good sobering moments in our life because we can clearly see, and if, if we don't do that, I've seen it in my life, and if there's areas that I haven't built on Jesus, it's going to come and crash down. But if I build it on His Word, His principles, and His ways, it stands strong even if there's a storm around us. Neil Postman, who wrote a book in 1985, which is incredibly profound how, how far ahead he was, he wrote a, a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he died a year before Facebook came out, two years before Twitter, like a few years before Instagram, he died. But he wrote this very kind of prophetic statement. He says, the tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. Think of Instagram followers and Twitter followers. It comes indiscriminately, directed uh, at no one in particular, disconnected from usefulness. We are, we, are, we are glutted with information, drowning in information. We have no control of it, don't you know, and we don't know what to do with it. And I, we have so much information, and I feel like this, this verse, as we read it again, is a cry back to simplicity. It's a cry back to putting away all the stuff that doesn't matter, and focusing on Jesus' world. Because if, if, if we want to change the world, we have to do it His way. We can't do it our own way. We can't do it with our own principles. We can't do it with business principles. I mean, I've, at one stage I was reading a lot of leadership books, which is all good. But I felt like I was being bombarded with information. And it was just like, oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing enough. And then I just started to get alone with the Father. The Spirit wants us to do a few things, but a few things well. So we can see the kingdom of God on this earth. If you're juggling a thousand plates, and some of you are like, what's well, my job? No, you can reassess everything and go back to Scripture. Realign your life with Scripture and, and come back to Him. Blake McCoskey uh, invented uh, Tom's shoes. Oh, there we go. Do you want to, Patty, do you want to come and stand? These are called Tom's. I used to wear them, um, but they break very easily on my feet. There we go. Tom's. Give a round of applause. <laughs> and he... He, he started Tom's, which is just basically everyone who buys a pair, a pair of shoes, uh, a pair of shoes is given to someone in need. And he wrote a book called Start Something That Matters. And he's now on a big thing to end gun violence in America, just saying that you have to have massive background checks before you can buy a gun. And he's got millions of signatures already, and it's been sent to, I don't know how it all works in America, but he's making a difference. And that's what Je the call of Jesus on our life is to do something that matters. Not do things that don't matter. So your work matters. Every day you go to work matters because it's A, it's, it's, it's good to work. Keep your hands busy. It's providing for your family. Sometimes you have to do stuff you don't want to do. But it, but it matters and it's good. And God, the amazing thing is that we were, we were meant to work the garden before the fall. People think that work is, a, is, is because of the fall. The effort in work is because of the fall. 
We are meant to work in, in the grace of God. And what are we meant to do? We're meant to, to bring the kingdom of God to earth in our everyday workplace. So this is what Jesus, for me, is talking about. Building our lives in the right place. Jesus doesn't hammer everything at once. Uh, we go to a, a, a doctor, a homeopath. Some of you guys think we may be super hippie, but this guy is a genius. Some of you may know him. And it basically is this, is that it's, it's moving away from kind of the world's medicine, but like just doing natural treatments. And it's, I know a lot of you guys are into that. But he's really helped Stalin and I. We, we hit a wall about a year and a half ago, and he helped us. He just, get us, he just got us onto good herbs and tablets. Not herbs, you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> for in another country, maybe. <laughs> no, joking. Um, but he really helped us. And the, the amazing thing is that he has so much information that he's always studying and learning and, and getting into him. But he comes back to this point. He says, just change this one thing. Just do this. Just eat this. Just, he doesn't kind of bombard you with information. I believe Jesus is like that, our great physician. He knows how complex we are. He knows how complex the world we live in. He knows them, how much information. He's just saying, just try one thing. Don't make 15 New Year's resolutions. I often do that. If you just change one thing every year, by the time you get to a uh, much older in life, you're going you're gonna to be pretty well practiced in a few areas. So, let's start. I've got three points and then we're done. Cool. It's 3.04. No, what? It's 10. Number one, there will be floods. There will be tough moments in our life. Let me encourage you this morning. That uh, no matter if you're in a high at the moment or if you're in, maybe you're in a flood at the moment, there's moments where you're going to walk through life, stuff is going to hit you unexpectedly. There's going to be a great crash. There's something that's going to happen. And then in that moment, we're going to see what we actually are, are, are landing ourselves on. It says, The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The other one built on the sand. And obviously it fell with a great crash. The amazing thing about uh, floods is that everyone seems to be fine from a distance and all of a sudden the flood comes. And uh, Jesus would have been talking into a Galilean context where it was dry and arid, but then they would have a few times a year where the rain would come and all of a sudden there would be flash floods. Who's seen the flash floods in Oman? It's wild. I mean, we, we have men's camps. We thankfully just go in the desert. But guys are saying you need to be careful if you camp in Oman in winter because you may be in a valley that could be washed away. Um, and uh, it's just, I mean, then you get the guys that are in their four-by-fours and, like, go through the river and get washed down. But anyway, that's, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> the whole thing about floods is that you don't expect them. We used to live in Murdoff, and uh, some, I think I may have told the story to some of you. But uh, we had a, a cool little spot there. Um, but there, there is a major pigeon problem in Murdoff. Who lives in Murdoff? You, you guys know. There is just, there's pigeons everywhere. And uh, those pigeons decided to just make their toilet, my roof. And uh, they, they just blasted it down. Uh, like, and it was just not great. And, um, and I knew that, that that had happened. But then one day, probably our second year of living there, there was a great flood. Do you know in Dubai we have that once a year, and it used to seem like it, it used to happen a lot more back then. And um, there was a great flood that all of a sudden came, and we went out for lunch with a friend. We're like kind of after church and then get home. We're like, oh, it's raining. Isn't this amazing? We get home, we open our front door, and there's literally like pigeon water and poo just floating in our, in, our, in our house in Murdoch. And we're like, oh, are you kidding me? And it was just like all I wanted to do was go lie on the couch 
you know, that afternoon nap time. And, uh, and I, we spent hours, thankfully we had a bunch of friends that came and helped us. And we spent hours cleaning it, and then it happened again, and I was ready for it, and I had my bucket ready. And what had happened, because it would, it would clog the drains, the, the pigeon feces, um, <laughs> uh, it, would, it would clog the, the drains, and we weren't able to, so obviously it would just flood straight over into our balcony. I remember being on my balcony with a bucket, no shirt on, and just going and like, just like bailing water off our balcony, and it was just horrible. That's why we moved out of Meredith, well, it's one of the main reasons. And we, uh, we always, when we drive past there, we wonder, we're like, I wonder if it's happened to the person who moved in. We should have warned them. But anyway, um, but the point is, that's what happens with floods. You don't expect it. You think life is just going. And then all of a sudden, something happens in your life. And it's tough. Jesus was brutally honest about the human condition. Andy read last week, it says that in this life, you will have trouble. But Je- in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, but I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't lead you out of hardship, but he leads you through hardship. I would, I would love, and this is the problem sometimes with the hyper-prosperity gospel and, uh, and a self-help, is that if you, if you just repeat the enough things and say enough things, you're not going to go through tough times. I'm telling you, you can repeat that till you blue in the face. That's, you're going to go through tough times. But the point is, Jesus gives us something much greater than what our flesh desires. He gives us peace. He gives us strength in the storm. He gives us hope in the storm. He gives us stuff that the world, the world will look on and they're like, there is no hope. Christians look on, there is always a hope. That is, what, that is the amazing thing about building on the rock and the foundation of Jesus Christ is that if there's a storm that's coming and if, if there's this, it's things that are raging against us, we will always have hope. God will always turn something around. God will always make a way in the desert. That is who God is. He's not standing at a distance. The amazing thing is that we're like, why can't God just make me avoid all these troubles? Jesus couldn't even avoid trouble. He was beaten. He was whipped. He felt the the full weight of sin and and whatever, the the enormity of this world. And we're going to have moments where it's going to be tough. And one of the things we're going to discuss next year is foundations. And one of the foundations on baptism is to water the Holy Spirit. And one of them is into suffering. And I'm not prophesying suffering over us. I really like, it's not fun to watch people suffer. It's not fun to suffer. But there's going to be troubles in your life. And what I've realized in following Jesus, that the most important thing in our life is that we stay grounded on him. When the troubles come, don't sit there asking why. Just say, Jesus, give me peace. Give me hope. Give me strength in this moment. Help me through this. Because he's there and he's with you. God blesses you. As you go through tough moments. I've, I've realized this in ministry and in life. Is that you can have a parallel road where, you're, where God is blessing you. And I, I had a season where God is just giving me stuff. I was giving guitars, cars. Uh, it sounds like that, that meme. Guitars, cars, anyway. And I was, given, I was given a whole bunch of stuff. And it was amazing. And, but at the same time, going through some really tough stuff personally. But yet God is still blessing me. Now, now for me, that doesn't make sense. But that is the gospel. And there's going to be times where it's going to be good and life is going to feel good and it's, it's, it's awesome. But there's going to be tough moments. But can I say this? I believe you can expect God to bless you in those moments. To get you through these tough times. He sustains you. The flood could be hardship. No one expected the crash in 2007. Maybe some did. Ramza Banker. No one expected it. Maybe a few that were controlling at the top knew it was going to happen. 
But, um, and that the amazing thing is the way that the scripture pans out. It says that it starts to rain, then the waters rose, then the wind blew, then it crashed. So often people, and I think you get sudden crashes in your life, but also there's also gradual unraveling. And I've seen it in my in different friends' lives, is that there's been moments where, they, where we, I've tried to speak to them, talk to them about certain things in their lives, and they haven't. And then there's all, there's all of a sudden, there's just this unraveling that starts to happen. And we cannot be in that place. As followers of Jesus, we have to, the Bible says, watch our life and doctrine closely. We have to take, take moments of just being with the Father. God, show me if there's any hidden stuff in my heart. Just keep accountability with one another. Keep open book. Don't, don't keep things in the dark. Darkness breeds all kinds of evil. I, I, we've seen it so many times, and I'm warning you as, as a pastor and as a friend, hopefully, that if you leave stuff in the dark, it's not going to stay in the dark. It's going to manifest itself ten times worse than if you had just brought it out into the light in the first place. There is power in that, because what happens when you bring stuff into the light? It destroys the grip that the enemy has on that thing. And uh, we want to walk journeys with whatever, wherever you are, don't hide things. Don't come to us when it's too late. Don't come spe- Often people come to us when the storm's already happened and when it's crashed. And we are intentionally going to do a few things next year. One of them is pre-marriage counseling and get the, the, the unmarried ready for marriage. And that could be if you have a, a guy or a girl or not, but get people ready, get their hearts ready, get the, so they can start preparing themselves for when God does bring a partner or they already have a partner and then they, they're going to get married. Build on good foundations. We're going to do preventative marriage stuff as opposed to fixing marriage problems. We're going to do marriage courses throughout the year. Ramanushi, there, there's your thing. <laughs> and um, we, we want to do all of these things just because we believe that that's what Jesus is talking about. Taking moments. That's why we have church on Friday. So we can keep going back to the word of God. Keep letting it change us. I'm not going to get through everything. Secondly, second point is be wise. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Can we say wise man? Do you know what's in, yeah, wise woman. Do you know what's interesting is that in Proverbs they personify wisdom as a woman. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I must say, girls sometimes make more wiser decisions than dudes. We can kind of just be. Just go for it. But we are called to be wise, which is the Greek word phronimos, which means to have a capacity to understand the daily things. Sometimes we think it's so spiritual, but it's actually just being wise, taking stock of your life. Think about your life. Think about how you're going to build your life on Jesus. Think about it. Just process it through. Put it in your diary. Write it in your Bible. Do whatever you need to do. Put, put checks in place. Say, I'm going to go to this. I'm not going to do that because if I do that, I know I'm not strong enough to handle myself in that place, but I'm going to stay here amongst people who want to build me. These are things that we need to put in our lives. We, we're all susceptible to sin. We're all susceptible to, to falling with a great crash. And that's why we have community around us. And then the foolish man is the Greek word moros, where we get the word moron. Isn't that interesting? Or even idiot. I know the Bible says you shouldn't say idiot, but that, 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 that's one of the meanings of moros. It's like, don't be a moron. That's what the Bible's saying. I, I, it's like, it says you, you can be wise or you can be foolish. <laughs> There's the wise versus foolish throughout the Proverbs. Proverbs 3 verse 1 says this. My son or daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will, one, prolong your life with many years. They will bring you peace and they'll bring you prosperity. 
This is the wisdom of God. It's like I love when John Bevere says, just read the word of God, guys. Just read it. Get, get a Bible, underline it. I've got this new NIV Bible with little note-taking things highlighted. I bought little pens. I'm, I'm kind of doing the whole... I'm not going to take put on Instagram. Okay, that would be strange. Um, but color in your Bible. Learn what the Bible says. Go. There's a thing called Blue Letter uh, Bible, which is a free commentary online. Biblehub.com, free commentary online. If you don't understand something that the Scripture is saying, you can go Google that exact Scripture. Go read the Greek. Go read the explanation. Then if you go do that, I won't need to preach on Friday because that's what I do when I'm preaching to you guys. Okay. Proverbs 3 verse 35. The wise inherit honor, but the fools get only shame. The wise woman builds her house. All the women, Amen. But with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. That's the amazing thing about foolishness, is that it's, it's your own fault. It's, it's stuff that's, okay, you're going to have stuff that comes against you, which is out of your control. But 90% of the sins and the, the stuff we get into is because of our own actions or inaction. The third thing is that foundations matter. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We have to dig down to find the rock here, if there is rock. Sometimes they have to compound sand, put, uh, and some of the villas are like in floating cement. Am I right, Colson? Kind of, he's a QS. Anyway, you're not. Well, I don't know what you're Project manager. <laughs> um, only time will tell where your foundations are at. When they built the, le- the Tower of Pisa, it wasn't leaning. Okay. Eventually, I don't know why that happened. I should have actually researched. But there's clearly something wrong in the foundations. Am I right, Snare, architect? Something went wrong in the foundations and in the building of that. The birds had to dig deep to go high. If we want to do great things for God, do, do the things that no one is seeing. Daily prayer, Bible reading, times of silence, honoring God in your workplace, living out Matthew 5. Six and seven. Jesus is enough to build on, but it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort to, to put that in place and to, to follow Jesus, but it's so worth it because we can begin to see life flourish from that place. Jesus, the amazing thing is that he's not talking about it's good to just know the word and you can recite scriptures in bad times, but it's actually living out the word. That's where the foundation building comes. It doesn't come through just knowing the words of Jesus. It comes through living it out, putting it into practice. At that word that I said earlier, poeo, which means obedience to make do. It describes the act of making or producing. And we can all be armchair critics. I, I watch rugby on the occasion, rare occasion. I like watching South Africa rarely beat other countries, but they do. And they're getting better. Um, but if you're a New Zealand fan, then obviously you're winning, just generally. Um, but I love to sit there and, and make comments about everyone that's on the rugby field. Oh, I should have done that. The guy should have thrown the ball. You know, it just shows that I don't really know rugby too well, but I love rugby. And um, you, can like, you can have all the comments in the world. You can be a football fan. You can follow Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Man City, whatever. And you can have all the opinions in the world, but you're not playing on that field. God has not called us to be armchair critics of the gospel. We're meant to get our hands dirty. We're meant to do stuff, do things that matter. If we build our lives on this, there's a strength and a security that comes. 
And I want to end with this scripture. Because obviously when Jesus is talking about build your life on these things, he's building about talking about building your life on what he said on Sermon on the Mount. Now I encourage you to go read through that. Reread it. Let it live inside you. It's the manifesto of the kingdom of God. It calls us to be meek, merciful, pure in heart, to love our enemies, to rejoice in persecution. But I love what Hebrews 6 verse 1 says. And this is on foundations. So come on. Let's, let us leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on uh, salvation by help and turning towards God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, God, um, God helping us. We all say that, that are true to that, but there's so much more. Let's get on with it. I just love that. I love that last line. It says, let's just get on with this. Can we stand and let's pray together? If I had to summarize for me what Jesus was saying, he says, what are you going to do with the words that I've spoken? We're not going to do any altar call, any piano music today. We're going to, I'm going to just give a moment to say, Father, I'm, I want to be serious. I want to step forward into all that you have for me. I want to build or rebuild the foundations of Christ in my life. I want, to, I want to lay aside the things of this world. I want to lay aside the stuff that I've been struggling with, and I want to focus my eyes on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by your spirit it's enough to change us to make us like you. God, I pray that, um, that there would be deep foundations in our hearts. And it's not going to happen passively, but Father, that today something would be sparked in our hearts to, to seek you, to, to follow you, to pray, to spend time in the Word, to understand this God that we serve, not from a distance, but close in our hearts. Father, we thank you that you're so kind and you meet us where we're at. We worship you this morning. We thank you, God. We thank you. We thank you that there's always hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.